I'm Caroline, a yoga teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hi, I'm Dr. Clara, GP with a special interest in menopause based in North London. Together we're the Menopause Sisters and we're here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. We are delighted today to welcome Dr. Zoe to our Menopause Sisters chat. Dr. Zoe is an experienced GP and menopause specialist um, in the north of England and is on a one-woman mission to enable women to get their hormones back. Um, she is passionate about providing evidence-based menopause care and improving menopause care. She's also a lover of crochet, knitting and sewing, and also keen to reduce health inequalities in healthcare, not to mention getting testosterone on the map. So we are delighted to welcome you, Dr. Zoe. Thank you for, for sharing your time with us today and welcome. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> um, I thought it would be a really great start because what we want to do is get as much information in today's episode as possible about testosterone. And I suppose what, where, where I thought might be helpful to start is why is it important in women's health? What is testosterone to a woman? I think, I mean, it's, it's, it seems to be the forgotten hormone. It's, it just seems absolutely incredible. And because we, and premenopausally, we produce three to four times more testosterone than estrogen from the ovaries. So it clearly has a function. And yet when we come to looking at hormone replacement therapy, traditionally, the majority of the times we just look at estrogen and progesterone. So we lose three hormones and only replace two, which even with my basic maths seems a bit bizarre. So hang on a second. We produce three to four times the amount of testosterone as we do estrogen. So in many ways, we would say that testosterone is, is more important than estrogen, perhaps. I think it's, I mean, it's a very much under-researched, undervalued. It just, it staggers me over and over again that we are in 2022 and it seems to just be filtering onto the radar. So I think there are so many potential uses that haven't been looked into. The data on testosterone is pretty scant when you go. So we've got um, data on things like sort of 20 years of retrospective safety data but when you look at the fact that we have testosterone receptors throughout our entire throughout our bodies, and then the symptoms that we see with with women over and over again, it starts to make sense. Replacing it tends to address the symptoms, and you think, well, why isn't there data about this? Why aren't people interested in researching this? I mean, even things like potential of um, helping with sort of insulin resistance, helping with mood, helping with strength, helping with falls prevention. There's so many. What ifs, what ifs, what ifs they don't have clear data. They have what we would say is practice-based evidence where you see it time and time and time again, but nothing substantive to, to back that up. And I presume you over the years as well, especially in general practice and in medical school days, there were so many research projects that people were doing and you just think, well, that's a bit dull, that's a bit pointless. Mm. And then there's this. Yeah. And nobody's doing anything with it. And I think, where's the curiosity? What happened? And I think it's very interesting because for so many women, they the awareness of the fact that they even produce testosterone is is a new concept. Mm. Um, you know, that that could be a, a you know a bit of a surprise for a lot of women because they're just not aware of that fact. But it's interesting what you talk about the practice based evidence, um, Zoe. You know that you've seen that Dr. Claire's seen as well because often that is a case across all 
um, symptoms, you know, menopause symptoms and perimenopause and menopause for, for many patients. So you mentioned, you know, cognitive function there and a couple of other things. What other symptoms can potentially be alleviated by introducing um, testosterone? Well, I think, I mean, I'd, I'd say to lots of people, it's my absolute favourite hormone um, because I think the oestrogen and progesterone, great, um, and there's a lot of data about those, but the testosterone reconnects. So the commonest phrase I hear when people have been on it for, for a long enough time, does take a little time, are things like, I can see myself again. And it's just that that joy and that spark and that energy and that motivation and of course, the sex drive, which is mentioned in the guidelines, the only thing mentioned in the NICE guidelines. But it's just that I think that, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today and she said it's just this sort of insidious creep. And you just think, is that it now? Is that because I'm getting a little bit older? Is that all I've got to expect that it all is a bit grey and a bit flat and a bit um, Do I just have to put up with that? And then they come back and it's it's not only did I not leave my job, I've gone for a promotion. I've started running again. I actually like people again. Mm. It just is that sort of joyous connection energy. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of nuts that is not available. No, and there's so much to change, isn't there? There's a lot to change in terms of, like you mentioned the guidelines there, the NICE guidelines, which is what in the UK we um, adhere to as doctors, we try and follow these guidelines as closely as we can. But the NICE guidelines, and this is also a big bugbear of mine, mentions just consider testosterone in women who have low libido, as if actually that's what what we are. It's just about, about our sex drive. And it is so much deeper than that, isn't it? It's, it's what I call sort of the holy trinity of hormones. It's the three together that often make you feel so much better. Um, and I suppose what I'm, what we need to move away from perhaps is just thinking about it just in purely simplistic terms as your sex drive is low, your libido is low, therefore let's give you testosterone. And it's, it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's so fast. And even, I mean, again, it's even, even, yes, libido needs to be talked about and we need to get rid of the shame around it and it needs to, that conversation needs to be opened up. But I can guarantee 100% of people that we speak to, if it's a choice over your brain or your sex drive first, they'll choose their brain. It's That's not going to change. Until there's a, a, a licensed product, then the data's not going to come. And it's again, it's hard to get something licensed without the data. It's this sort of catch-22 that just seems to be going around in this loop. Vicious circle at the moment around it. Can we maybe explore as well just why you estrogenize a, a woman first so just going into that explanation as to why you start with estrogen potentially progesterone if, if um, they have their women tacked and then add on testosterone part of it has been what people have had access to so again we know there are big issues with hrt accessibility full stop but in general it's been easier to get hold of estrogen and progesterone and those ones have been sort of bread and butter hrt and then the testosterone has been a, well, let's see how everything else is going. Are there still symptoms? We'll add it on. Now, I hope in the future we start to look to separate off the symptoms and look and see, well, actually, symptoms seem to be predominantly low testosterone. And again, particularly if you're perimenopausal, why not just use that? So I'm hoping, and this even goes, goes wider than that, it's things, for example, like polycystic ovarian syndrome, it would make so much more sense to add natural micronized progesterone. It's just mad. 
that, again, this is looked at in a very narrow window. Well, that's HRT and it can only be used for that. And it's, well, can we just not look at hormones per se and see when this one would be? Because so you can, there is data to have testosterone on its own. A lot of the time with the symptoms, it makes sense. And you see the symptoms and you think, well, actually a little bit of estrogen and progesterone is useful as well. But you can... And there's the symptom checker that I'm talking about. There are lots of menopause symptom checkers. And if you work with this sort of day in, day out, you can actually look at one before you've even spoken to somebody and go, ah, testosterone, ah, estrogen, ah, progesterone, ah, all three, um, and start to fine tune. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that is what it will start to move towards. Yeah, and I think what you mentioned there sometimes is thought of a bit, and I use this loosely because I, I as a, a GP also don't particularly like this word, but this off-license prescribing. Mm. You can't possibly prescribe this because it's off-license. And I wondered if you wanted to say a few words on that. That's been, so when when I've been emailing the various bodies, that has been one of the first objections that they come back with. No, we can't possibly discuss this because it's off-license. And it's, uh, hang on a minute, um, 15% of GP prescribing is off-license, so you're not having that one. Mm-hmm. So it means is that they haven't approached because licensing is laborious and costly at the end of the day these companies are money-making companies so if they don't perceive a market that justifies going through all of that then why bother Mm. so very similar lots of um children's medications are prescribed off license lots of migraine medications are off license so they were never intended for that use but that, that doesn't mean they're not safe. They are safe, but they haven't approached licensing for that particular use. So that argument has been batted back really quickly. <laughs> it's, still, it's still used a fair amount in, in, in my neck of the woods, I have to say. And I think it, it also um, comes back to the fact that, you know, not a lot of women know about testosterone. I mean, it's it's getting bigger and we're, we're shouting about it a lot. And obviously more women are aware, but there's still a lot of misinformation out there about testosterone mm. amongst health professionals and amongst women, isn't there? So how do we get this? How do we get this message across that testosterone is key, particularly with health professionals? I think it's, I mean, there's been a real shift over the last year and it's been lovely because I've had GPs sort of private messaging me and saying I prescribed testosterone for the first time and I've heard about it. I mean, that was the thing. I was utterly clueless mm. until I started I mean, medical school. No, GP training. No, five years, 10 years down the line. No. And then finally, finally, you start reading about it and go, why is this never be mentioned i think it's one of those is it the swiss cheese analogy where there's sort of the holes all line up and cause one big chaotic mess yeah so it's that thing that if as a gp if it's something that you haven't come across before you'll start to read around it and then you'll see the words off license and you think mm, not quite sure and then you go to the ccg guidelines and it's either not even on there or red meaning can only be sort of handled by specialists and so it all starts, and, and this is why with this, it's been, I've been very aware that it's very much chipping away in lots of different areas. So anyone that I've seen who is doing well with testosterone, it's sort of please speak to any healthcare professional you come across. A, point out that you, you're not bearded, because that is, the I would say, the commonest fear for health professionals and women. 
and just say how well you've done with it and just say this has meant that I can get back to work, I can get back to exercising, I can get back to having a relationship. And I don't just mean sexually, I mean actually liking people again. Yeah. So it's, it, it is. It was never going to be one great big sweep and change, particularly as we're in such a sort of stressful position on the aftermath of COVID and we know how much the NHS is struggling. That was... So just there was never the intention of doing this great big, right, you must all do this now because you have to approach so many different factors with this. And I know Louise Newsom's doing a lot of work with the people that um, produce Androfem to try and get that licensed. So it's just one of the hurdles to come away is if we can have a licensed product, that takes some of the fear away. If we can change the CCG guidelines, that takes another step of the fear And then it will gradually all come together, she says, hopefully. (laughs) Just for the purpose of our listeners, could you explain about CCG? So this is in England, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So it's it's different in different parts of the UK. Um, So in England, you have a clinical commissioning group. And so Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland will have the equivalents. So the whole of the UK is divided up into little pockets. Very often they're county-wide, not always. And they they have the sort of the budget and they advise on, so things that are not bread and butter prescription medications, they will have guidelines on when they should be used, should they be used. And if as a GP, if it's something that you haven't prescribed before, you will often have a look at that and just see what that backup guidance is, because it just then reassures you that, yes, it's been mentioned, it's been discussed. Here's a pathway on how to prescribe it and here's some guidelines and it's going to be okay so this is where it's so important that if you've got somebody who's I might just have a little look and possibly prescribe this with that backup and then they go to the formulary and it's tumbleweed mm-hmm. just going there's a reason it's not on there and the reason is generally because nobody's ever discussed it yeah so this is where we sort of were as a starting point saying, hang on a minute, it doesn't appear to even feature mm. in your area. Um, not, never mind a yes or a no, it's just non-existent. So that was the sort of the starting point with this, to just prod and poke a little bit and go, um, by the way, <laughs> by the way, it's 2021, could you have a think about this? Yeah. So, yeah, that's where it sort of started. But I think that's where it's it's so um, it's important, isn't it? Because if you as a GP are looking at that list going, it's it's either red or you don't prescribe mm. or it's not on there. You're sort of left in that limbo of what to do. This must be some sort of, I guess, expensive medication mm-hmm. or it's dangerous or only uh, a specialist hormone doctor might be able to prescribe mm. it. And yet the menopause is the menopause and it should be GP. It should be led by GPs and practice nurses, shouldn't it? It, yes. it could be easily done and undertaken and then shifting all that work away from secondary care and into GP land. And yeah, there's, there's lots of training to be done around that, but it's something that it, it, it should, it should be. And would you, would you agree with that? Would you say that that's something that. Abs- that- yeah, absolutely. But again, it needs, it needs funding, doesn't it? So at the moment, not funded in GP land and they they're not consultations that squash into 10 minutes at all so what 
what ends up happening in a lot of places is one person in a practice will end up being the designated menopause go-to. And then they end up just getting completely burnt out because you're trying to squash what should be. And you can do it. You can split the consultation, but that still takes time. Whereas if it was funded in the same way as other big areas of health, like diabetes or asthma, because again, if you... GP practices are a business. So if you come come on board with your sort of menopause knowledge and bursting to put something into practice, and then you take that as a case, a business case, to the panel of GPs, and they say, how will that bring revenue into the practice? And you go, well, actually it won't. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a lot of time. They're not going to be particularly thrilled to take that on board. Mm. Whereas we know with other, um, and there are there are other areas, aren't they? Things like leses and deses, which were sort of specific topics in a way that attracted GP funding. So that meant that those people that had an interest in them were given the time to to sort of skill that up and provide really good care. Mm-hmm. So it's another hurdle in the endless row of hurdles that mm-hmm. it, it needs to be funded. Yeah, it's About- just saying it's not valuable, isn't it? It's it's just yeah. quite literally saying this is not valuable. Um, women aren't valuable. Yeah. You know, if you want to take it all the way there, you know, we're not. We're just. It's not of interest, and just pop it to one side. But then you also have to remember, though, that you know, if we're thinking of value and we're thinking of being cost-effective NHS, which is obviously the forefront of all our minds at the moment. You think about all those wasted referrals. You think about the cardiology referral for palpitations. You think about the rheumatology referral for fibromyalgia. Um, And you think, well, actually, these referrals into secondary care cost money. And Mm -hmm. if we shifted that bulk of money back into primary care and dealt with the menopause and Mm -hmm. not referred these women that just had this endless cycle of, you know, misdiagnoses, then we could be saving a lot of money. We could be also preventing lots of long-term health conditions couldn't we by, yeah. by just doing this properly at the start but we keep yeah. hearing these stories don't we because i was on a workshop on sunday and one of the women said yep you know she'd been to the college department she'd been to various other departments you know in secretary she'd been to see all sorts of consultants about different things and she's sitting there going gosh actually when she looked at the list of potential symptoms of perimenopause and menopause she's oh you know she's suddenly joining the dots and you know she thought maybe she was there but she had no idea of of the array of symptoms that can present Mm. and realizing she spent a lot of time with consultants who had found nothing wrong with her and this is why again it needs to go back to all healthcare professionals during training doesn't it absolutely Um, it needs to be taken into every element doesn't it absolutely everyone because as a woman it affects every part of your body or it can do anyway and it would solve a lot of frustration as well because all of these people are going to these appointments and these specialists and these GPs are going, like, I don't know what to do because all of the tests I'm doing. I mean, I think the record I had was somebody who'd had 10 different scans and then she saw a symptom checker and went, ah, and not one, as you say, of those clinics had said this could be, have you thought about? So again, it's it's just normalising this, isn't it? And it's getting it on to... So again, I've spoken to a couple of people this week. Why didn't I know anything about this? (laughs) And that's a a tricky one in itself. I've got a a group of sort of nurse and many nurse friends who are five years younger than me. 
And I keep trying to shoehorn this in because it's, look, this is on the horizon and it's very much, we're not even looking at that. And so that comes back to the whole shame around it. And again, I don't want to even think about that. And you can see that that's when you end up in this, again, what sort of you, you see people a lot where it's the symptoms have started and you've tried to cope with them by possibly um, less exercise because you're feeling rotten and then the things more alcohol because you're not sleeping and you're anxious and then the nutrition goes. And by the time you get to speak or clock that it's menopause, you've got all of that side of things adding into disrupting these hormone pathways. Mm. And instead, if we tipped it on its head and you knew, you could start doing a good old spring clean of all of those factors, which would then make the hormone transition run more smoothly. Yeah, there's that element of being able to you know, change your lifestyle gently, perhaps not huge mm. changes, but just looking after yourself in that run up. And therefore, as you say, kind of coming, I was going to say floating through perimenopause. That, <laughs> that would be nice. I think that would be nice. That does, I know that does happen for some people. So, you know, I'm not going to totally dismiss that word, but, you know, that just a slightly smoother journey through it. Um, and I know amongst, you know, friends um, of mine here in Edinburgh, when I talk about it, there's, a, there's often a brush off. There's often mm. a, oh, God, Caroline, you're so young. You know, you're so, I'm 46. I don't, I'm not too young <laughs> to be perimenopausal. Mm. And so there's, there's a, a dismissive shame sometimes I think, and that that I'm not there yet. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just not ready to think about it yet. Um, and I think, and that- this is again, if we could get the because yes, it can be pretty tricky to get through, but again, there are some absolute positives to it, and it's that whole sort of celebration, isn't it? That again, there's this lovely clarity to it where you don't tolerate things that shouldn't be tolerated. I'm trying to say this politely. Um, <laughs> there's that you, I think you stop caring so much about what people think of you with all these, you know, the whole the shoulds, what you should wear, what you should do, what you should be. Blah, blah, blah. And it's this, this lovely freedom to it. And if we can start celebrating that and the wisdom and the shedding of all the sort of stuff, yeah. then can just change the whole narrative around it. But yeah, there's a lot to be done. Coming back to testosterone and trying to spread the word, (laughs) trying to spread the word. And, you know, we were talking briefly before we started recording, weren't we, about, you know, it's almost a three or four pronged approach. You know, if women are asking for this or saying, going to their GP and saying, you know, I have heard or I have read Mm -hmm. that this could help me, you know, there's that approach. There's hopefully the GPs looking into it and going, what's this about? How can I actually prescribe this? You've maybe got the pharmacies and the pharmacists getting more requests for it. Yeah. You know, for, there's, there's this little sort of three, four, five pronged approach. It's almost mm-hmm. in all directions. And are you beginning to perhaps see that? Do you think there's, mm-hmm. a, there's, a, there's a bit of pickup of an interest in, in Oh, it's testing? definitely, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Um, and it's been such a, thing to watch because it's been an absolute the people that have just come together from everywhere um so again we started off at the beginning a wonderful woman wrote a letter that diane dunsprint put on her website and that could be tailored and then sent to the ccg saying oh by the way this is what i've struggled with i can't access this it's not on your formulary 
So that went out. And then we've had um, sort of healthcare professionals. We've had um, doctors and menopause specialists and pharmacists and practice nurses all working within their little area to pick this up and say, actually, can we change the pathways, which is a huge amount of work. And then people just raising awareness of just normalizing it on social media. Um, so it, it definitely, I, I just did a repeat post the other day. And that was just to give me a helping hand because I need to get my map back out again and, and see where we're up to. And there's such a change. I actually asked a couple of the, the reps and the marketing people from a certain testosterone company. I said, if you have time, can you go and read this? because there is such a change from a year ago with the number of women that have been able to access testosterone and GPs that are comfortable now to prescribe it. And then, of course, there's been the, the Confidence and Menopause course, which has been free. So we know that, I think it's over, Claire, you'll know more than me, there's over 19,000 yeah. people have signed up. So you've got your teaching there that you can do at home. Um, and again, it's we know that, it's very, very busy, but you still, as a healthcare professional, you still have to keep up with your learning. And you think, well, haven't ever been taught this, so may as well dip in, dip my toe in the water for a couple of hours. And it's interesting, mm. fresh. It, and Exactly. It's one of those things, I think, you know, um, I was never taught about menopause at medical school. Um, and I... And I say this in inverted commas because I was lucky enough to have a GP trainer who taught me about menopause, but I never felt particularly confident in prescribing HRT and then read more around it and encountered, obviously knew about the, the WHI study. But my mission was more, I'm ashamed to say, getting women off it than starting it. And it wasn't until probably, you know, five or six years ago that I was like, oh, dear God, I've you know, what have I done taking yeah. all these women off there which asked me, um, yeah. and actually should be on. And, and I think back to medical school, and I think, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. Why isn't this being taught? We should be teaching about estrogen, about progesterone, about testosterone in the same way that we teach about diabetes, in the same way that we teach about asthma and those long-term health conditions. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot to be done. But I think there is so much more tangible movement mm. that is Thing that way which is really which is really as well because I, I mean I spent a, a little while ago because I was a, um I was a GP trainer so at one of the deanery meetings I was trying to collar anyone I could and pointing out that when you look at the for GP trainees they have I think it's 12 competencies that they have to and you think there isn't a topic that fits all 12 as well so it fits with sort of lifestyle, it fits with health prevention, it fits with ethics, it fits with consultation skills, it fits with prescribing. What more do you want? This is a gift on a plate, GP trainees. And one of them turned around and went, well, nobody prescribes it because of the WHI. And you're standing there thinking, did you actually just say that? Yes, you did. <laughs> and I'm in the middle of a large group of people, so I can't say what I would like to say to you. But it was it's just that thing of... And again, when you speak to the younger GP, not, well, not all the younger GPs. So in general, when you speak to the cohort coming through, who, and I have to say, who aren't as exhausted, there's this real, most excitement about it and the energy, because it, it does, it fits, it dovetails so beautifully with lifestyle factors and preventative medicine. 
but we just need the again you need that time to be able to look into that mm-hmm. so it's it, this is why i think it's so frustrating because you just think if, if you could see the bigger picture of how i mean again i had a, exactly the same as you i spent half my time trying to wrestle it off people and i had a, a the fantastic woman who'd come in every year and we'd have the same conversation and then i say oh okay okay you so patronizing okay you can have your hrt just wince at it now and she was lovely i mean she sort of absolutely bless her and she she came in just as i was leaving general practice and she said oh i've got a a present for you she'd written her first book at 84 (laughs) and i said to her i said I'm so sorry, you were right all the way along. And again, I feel absolutely dreadful for all the people that said, oh, no, 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 it's not a good idea. Um, because there's just rafts of misinformation everywhere you turned. And I think that's what's that really changed. hard. You know, I think mm. that, that is what I'd like to acknowledge for you both and for, you know, for all GPs and GP practices, because actually there's been a navigation of finding the right knowledge the correct Mm. knowledge research data everything it's not just you know it's not been a case of being able to to suddenly change everything overnight there's you know there's been so like you say so much misinformation there still is Mm. um and i think that's you know we're obviously trying to break this down by by talking to you zoe but it's it's there it's there to stay you know i don't see it disappearing overnight um and this is such a long long process there's that brilliant book I've mentioned a couple of times, actually, um, Invisible Women. Mm. Um, and, you know, just listening to that, I'm glad, I'm glad I listened to it and, and didn't read it because, you know, every now and again, my blood would start boiling and I'd have to turn it off. But actually, it's a book around the inequalities of, every, you know, of everything, anything and everything, um, you know, between men and women. And one of them is healthcare. You know, it's a huge, huge topic, how drugs mm. are tested, um, you know, access to healthcare, all of these things. And with menopause, it's half the population, you know, it, it, it's just you're going to go through it. It doesn't matter how you go through it, you're going to yeah. go through it. So just, you know, as you mentioned, you know, with, with GP training and GPs, it's, you, you're going to come across this. So definitely mm. it's not a, mm. you're not not going to come across it so it's it's beginning to just share these facts and, and knowledge and i think that's the other thing as well because say for example with other things such as diabetes you get taught it at medical school quite frequently and then you get taught it again during your gp training you're starting to see people who have diabetes you're starting to prescribe and do the lifestyle advice and you learn because everyone in the practice deals with it And so you can ask your peers questions and you learn how to tweak regimes and sometimes go slightly off what is in the book because you have that experience. And this is where it is so unfair that you're almost starting from medical student days as a very established GP with no practical hands-on experience. And this is why very often one preparation will be tried and then if it doesn't sort of if it has side effects or it doesn't seem to work well there's a I actually don't know what to do with this you're just going to have to come off it if a woman thinks that testosterone might help her Mm -hmm. what where where would you maybe signpost her for information or or reading material and also how how would you advise um she approaches her gp So at the moment, um, in the majority of areas, 
apart from Somerset, where Juliet Balfour and I think Sharon Hartman have done an incredible job. Um, so in the majority of areas, the it's the better ones are on amber, which means that if it is started and stabilised in a specialist clinic, then if the GP feels comfortable and confident, they can then take it over. So in most areas, you're going to have to ask for a referral to a menopause clinic within the area. Now, we did another little survey. Um, we got about 100 replies and the average waiting time, so that was back in, I think, September time last year. The average waiting time was about six months to be seen at a menopause. It was a huge variation, but that was sort of the average. So in most places, you'll, you'll need to ask for a referral to a menopause clinic. Um, and if you're, again, if your GP doesn't know, I would hope they would know of the local ones, you can go onto the British Menopause Society website and there's a map there, you put your postcode in, you untick the private box and it will bring up all the NHS clinics. So you get your referral and then, again, I would say have a, a good read around. Um, there is information on the Menopause Balance website if you just click testosterone, lots of information and then also on the British Menopause Society website, if you search testosterone, it comes up with some prescribing and monitoring guidelines. And again, you can start doing the prep work so you can send those to your GP and say, I just wondered if you would mind if you've got five minutes just having a read through these. And so that's your starting point. You then go off to said menopause clinic and they will hopefully, again, if it's appropriate, get you going with your prescription of testosterone and hopefully send a guide back to GP saying this is the ongoing monitoring and prescribing off your trot. Now, there are some clinics where, um, and I just think this is just far better idea, where the GP will write to the clinic and probably have done some baseline blood levels and the clinic will go, yeah, looks appropriate. Here's the advice prescribe. So, I mean, that person doesn't even have to get to the clinic. It's just no. it's a much quicker, easier process. Yeah. Actually, that's really interesting because that that service, um, some of our listeners might know, is is known in, a, in, a, in GP land as advice and guidance. And it's, mm. it's a quick access to consultant opinion. And it's available for a vast array of specialties. Um, and where, where I'm based, it's um, not currently as easy to get that menopause advice as uh, you might, you no, might. only a few clinics, but you just the feedback from the women who'd used those clinics. I mean, yeah, understandably, was this couldn't have been easier for both yeah. me and the GP. Yeah, exactly. I think there's always a way around it. It's like it's like we often say, Karen. And I, you know, there's nothing that, that nothing should be off the table. There's lots of options. There's lots mm. of ways to get that advice. There's lots of ways to get the the support particularly if you're a healthcare professional you're not quite sure um as as you said earlier Zoe you know we're constantly learning as health professionals there is a lot to cover in the GP curriculum so there's there's always stuff that's going to be missed out mm. but actually it's our duty really isn't it if we're going to see menopausal women we need to be able to treat them yeah and I think it's I mean it would be lovely if if you'd sort of get practices embracing this as a whole rather than going oh that person can be the menopause doctor and this is another of my bugbears in that again it tends to often be female GPs who are nominated as being the menopause person and everyone else just completely de-skills said this before on one of my posts that if somebody had come into me 
and said, I have erectile dysfunction. And I said, oh, no, no, don't do willies. You need to go and see the willy doctor. Then I would have been called up in front of the other partners and them going, well, what was that? And yet this is happening all the time. And it's not fair. Yeah. And actually just going back to all the symptoms, as you know, we know there are, there are many different possible symptoms. If, if a person presents with those, as a woman presents with those symptoms, then actually surely everybody, you know, every healthcare professional mm-hmm. needs to know about them, as we were saying, because it could be menopause. It could be a menopause symptom. And so mm-hmm. it's actually joining those dots up. And as you say, one person, it's, it's not, you know, it's not going to work. We've often talked about, you know, maybe going to see the nurse to begin with in a practice, because mm-hmm. often the nurse is incredibly knowledgeable around this topic and mm-hmm. signpost very well. And I know we've talked about 10 minutes, not always being long enough. Maybe it has to be broken down to two or three appointments. Um, you know, even writing a letter to GP saying, these are my symptoms. This is what I'm thinking about. Can mm-hmm. you please advise me? And maybe that is, is something we can approach with testosterone as well and saying, I think I, I would like to try, you know, the Holy Trinity, as Claire called it. And I think that's, I mean, what's, what's worked well, because I've been trying wherever possible, so obviously work in private practice, but wherever possible, been trying to pass the prescribing back to um, the GP. And it's very much saying to people who are approaching their GP, it's almost just acknowledge the fear, because mm. there's fear around this. So... It is that thing of, I understand that you may never have been taught this at medical school, that you may never have prescribed this before. I've been on it for six months now and I feel really well and haven't had any side effects. Do you think I could be your first guinea pig and could we do this together? And I think just take that, acknowledge all of the faults in the system um, because again, I mean, you'll know Claire as well, is that it just behaves itself beautifully. Doesn't <laughs> it? It just honestly it just does what it's supposed to do. Does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And it, it does need, I mean, it's sensible to get a little bit of monitoring, but it really, again, just, just behaves. <laughs> you can see why it's my favourite. <laughs> it, it is that. And it's also, um, you know, it's, I guess, having that conversation with your healthcare professional in a shared we we talk about this a lot don't we Zoe like a shared care decision making process Mm -hmm. essentially what that means is that you're making a decision together Mm -hmm. so for some things we don't know the evidence but for testosterone actually based on practice evidence you know when Mm -hmm. we're using it we are seeing an improvement um and it's so so having that kind of discussion with one another it's Mm -hmm. not all of it's we've moved away from that paternalistic idealist care haven't we whereas this you you will do as I say to to be much more of a shared care approach and I think that's really important because women know their bodies they know what they're going through you know if you Mm. five years ago were at the top of your game and and feeling great and managing everything and suddenly something's changed you know over the last few years something's changed you're less active you're low your strength is weaker what's changed it's not suddenly that you've you know, necessarily got a new condition, which you may have done, but actually we need to look mm-hmm. at you. We need to look at your age. We need to think, well, could this be, could this be menopause and, and have that discussion and a shared discussion with your health professional? Yeah. And I think just, just going on to that, I think it's, I mean, again, so with, with when mine had dipped down, they're not insignificant symptoms. I had to, I had to have time away from work because I wasn't safe um, because I couldn't remember drug names it just, again, I'd sit there with blood tests thinking, don't know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's no wonder that people start thinking that they have dementia, Mm -hmm. uh, fibromyalgia, all of these things. And it was only, again, when it started to, when I'd started testosterone, and then you suddenly look back, and I remember looking at a photo album, and we'd been away in Yorkshire, and it was, it absolutely hit me. I thought, we were doing eight, 10 mile walks. I couldn't do that now. And you think that's two years. Mm. What on earth? And that's knowing about it. So it's, again, it's, it's, this is why it's, it's slightly irritating with the, well, more than slightly irritating that the only thing in the guidelines is libido. Because we, I mean, we yeah. see so many people that because the cognitive symptoms are so severe, that they 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 don't they have don't feel they have any choice but to have time off work and some people don't then return to that level of job and again the impact that that has on families on children it's it's and then it's just brought down to to libido yeah so and those those women looking to get some testosterone my gp is going to love me to be fair i've got a very supportive gp and i've been very honest when i've messed around with my i say messed around with my hrt <laughs> i tweak it myself tweaked. i've tweaked. tweaked it and then she's i've you know i've gone off better tell her <laughs> and then she's gone no you're not allowed to do that <laughs> you know so it's backwards and forwards discussion but i'm always honest and there's a little bit of lying sometimes but you know if i'm going to go in now because like that you know that's my plan and I always in my head thought, well, I'm going to start slowly. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I'll do my reading. I know what I want. So if there's somebody else out there similar and going, right, my next step, some testosterone. Mm-hmm. I love how you were discussing that, you know, ha- a little bit of handholding there and acknowledging possibly the fear and, and, and the knowledge not being there, perhaps not the data and, you know, everything we have discussed today and saying, actually, I'd really like to try this, you know, yeah. you as a guinea pig. I'm pretty sure it's going to help for me, my brain fog, my muscle ache, my, you know, my mm-hmm. pain. Um, can we just give it a go? Um and, and open another, up that conversation and just say, you know, look, this is this is where I'm at. Another practical tip of the feedback that we got from people that had uh, who answered the question on about um, so the, the little questionnaire we did about the um, NHS clinics were waiting time and were you offered testosterone? Very often, with the majority, it wasn't offered, but when it was discussed, so when the person going to the clinic said, "Can I try it?" Yes, it was. So. It is that thing of you might find at the moment that it's not necessarily offered up to you. So you may have to say, oh, actually, I came here because I really wanted to discuss testosterone. I'm aware of the British Menopause Society guidelines. I've read through this. I, it, it is. It's just having that. And again, I think with all of these, once sort of services open up and you can take somebody with you, that is worth its weight in gold, isn't it? Because yes. it's, it is daunting. And I think just having somebody there saying, well, actually, you know that you want, you said to me that you wanted to ask about testosterone, who's not actively involved in that can, can also help. So it was, uh, hopefully that will change, but it was a thing of, yes, you, if you ask, it's likely that it will be offered, yeah. but it seemed to be the thing that you did have to raise it. And I love how you were just mentioning taking somebody with you because you know it's been a, that's that's not been able 
to no. happen. You know, or even possibly have somebody on a call if you're having a call with your doctor in the, at this time mm. um, as we come out of the pandemic, because you do forget, unless you've got everything written down on a piece of paper, mm. you know, you do forget. And I know we've talked about, Claire, haven't we, you know, arming yourself with information, but for so many, many people, a sense of overwhelm and brain fog, mm. trying to arm yourself with information around your symptoms and what's pos- potentially possible is, is, is too much. Mm. Um, and so actually, you know, the hand-holding hopefully that this will come back into play where you can take a, an advocate for you with your you know friend or a family member is it, incredibly powerful hmm. well it's, it's really cruel as well that it comes at the time when you're sort of in a way it was one of your most vulnerable times and being advised to sort of stick at it and keep fighting when you feel like a lump of cold porridge is it we, we really owe it to make to everyone really to make these pathways a lot smoother so i think we're probably going to have to begin to wind up this episode but Dr Zoe I just wanted to thank you thank you for joining us and talking a bit about testosterone if you could leave our listeners with one two three tips around perhaps testosterone or HRT or seeing your GP what what would you maybe suggest so it's I think Again, it's it's really uncomfortable as a GP to be on the back foot and to have these big knowledge gaps. So it's I think first of all, don't go in saying I sort of demand this, it's my right, this, that, and the other, because it's never going to go well in that consultation. So I think it's very much as I say acknowledging that teaching education has not been there. Um Again, just read and read and read. There is this is one of the, the the areas where social media has been an absolute blessing. So there are lots of different, and you can see so on the Balance app, you can see real people's experiences of this. If you go onto the website, there are lots and lots of resources where you can really start to. There's podcasts on there. There's things you can read, so you can start to again take the fear. It is it is a female hormone or it is a hormone that is in females and males. Um, so I think it's, again, it is that empowering thing. Just get, just read, read, read around it. And also it can take time to do, to work. So that's the thing is very often we speak to people who've been using testosterone for three months and they sort of go, you've sold me an absolute dud. It's done nothing. And then you ring them a month later and you can hear in their voice that the we sort of call it has the testosterone magic started working yet and you can just hear it you can just hear this lightness and this certainty coming back so it is it does take time it can take tweaking so again it's sort of being patient and we will get there with this because i'm quite stubborn and it is changing we will get there thank you so much zoe that's okay lovely to be here